Amen. Be seated. Well, it's great to see everyone here this morning. Happy New Year on this first Sunday of uh, 2019. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad uh, that you're here with us. Thank you so much for coming to uh, spend this first Sunday of the new year with us. We appreciate that very much. Uh, we celebrate the Lord's Supper the first Sundays of every month, and of course, this is the first Sunday of the year, and so we will celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the message today. I just always like to remind us of that so we can be preparing our hearts uh, to celebrate the supper together. Um, I read this week that someone said an optimist stays up until midnight on uh, New Year's Eve to see in the new year. Um, a pessimist stays up all night, night to make sure the old year leaves. And I pray that all of us here are optimistic uh, about the new year, uh, that we're bullish uh, on 2019. I mean, I have every reason to be bullish this year. My Dallas Cowboys finally won a playoff game last night. I stayed up late to watch the bitter end of that. They tried to blow it, but they didn't. So I know this has got to be a great year uh, with that happening. But this is uh, an exciting year uh, for Faith Bible Church. Um, a lot of spiritual momentum I sense in our church. I, I sense it really in my own life, and I'm deeply grateful to God for that. And uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Um, this last month in December was by far the largest month of giving ever here at Faith Bible Church. And we need that with our new building that's taking place. And so I just want to thank all of you so much from, from the bottom of my heart and from our elders uh, for your generosity to our church. It's a, a tremendous blessing. So thank you so much for that. As uh, we begin the new year, the plan is in two weeks to begin a study, a new book study of the book of, of 1 Peter. So if you want to get a jump and a head start on that, you can begin reading in 1 Peter. So that's in a couple of weeks. But uh, this morning, this Sunday, and next Sunday, I want to bring just a couple of messages, unrelated messages, uh, to kind of set the course, I hope, for 2019 uh, for our lives. Uh, this morning, I want to bring a message I've entitled, uh, Happy New Year. And our, our main text will be uh, Philippians 4.4. 4. So if you want to turn there with me, just that one verse, we'll, we'll look at a few others as well, but that'll be our main text. Before we get into this morning's message, though, I want to share a quote I read this uh, last week. I read a, a book by James Merritt. Um, he's a, a well-known Baptist preacher in Georgia. Um, it's a book called 52 Weeks Through the Psalms, and I read, went ahead and just read through all of it. And in the section on Psalm 89, he said this, and this, this really captured my heart this last week. He said, the French have a proverb that provides insight for worship. A good meal ought to begin with hunger. It's hard to enjoy a meal when you're not hungry. But when you're starving, anything tastes good. As we approach worship with a hunger to meet God, we will be filled and satiated. When we come preoccupied or filled with our own self-sufficiency, we don't experience meaningful worship. He says it's true. Happy worship begins with a hunger for God. And so one thing I want to urge all of us to do in this coming year, first of all, is to be here. That's not hopefully too difficult to be here, but to be hungry, to come hungry every Sunday with a hunger in your heart to, to meet God and to meet His people. And that together all of us can see in this coming year what God can do in us and what God can do through us uh, here at Faith Bible Church as God's people. Let's pray together as we commit our, our year and our time this morning to the Lord. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that's in the heaven and the earth is yours. Thine, O Lord, is the dominion and you are exalted as head over all. 
Father, as we stand at the threshold of a new year, we come and bow humbly before you, our great God, our great maker and our master. Father, as we stand at the beginning of this new year, we're grateful that you're already there. You're already here. You're out ahead of us. You're already out there orchestrating and ordering and overruling the events of our lives for this coming year. And Father, I know that this year for many of us will contain challenges. There are many opportunities that are before us. We just want to come and humbly bow before you and totally yield ourselves to you here this morning and place ourselves at your disposal for this coming year. We ask, O oh God, that your grace and your good hand of blessing will rest upon our lives, upon our families, our marriages, upon our work and our businesses. Father, we can't do anything without you, and so we want to come corporately here this morning and lay our lives on the altar and commit ourselves to you for this coming year. Father, I pray that for myself and all of us here, you give us a hunger for you and for your word. And I pray this will be the greatest year ever in the history of this church so that you can be lifted up and you can be glorified and your name will be exalted. We ask these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Our primary text this morning is Philippians 4.4, 4, but I want to read the first four verses of Philippians 4. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you to also help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So reads God's word. Some of you may know the name Cyprian. Cyprian was a bishop of Carthage in North Africa back in the third century. Um, a great man of God. He, he came from a, a very wealthy pagan family. Um, he was highly educated. He was a brilliant man. Uh, but by his own testimony, he said he lived a dissipated youth. I mean, he lived a debauched, ungodly life, but he was converted to Christ at the age of 35, became a great leader in the early church, and was finally and ultimately martyred for his faith. But there's a document in history that's uh, one that's well known. It's a letter that Cyprian wrote to a man named Donatus. And in the letter to Donatus, Cyprian said this, you can, we can relate to these words today. He said, it is a really bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and good people who have learned the great secret of life. They have found a joy and a wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They're despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. These early Christians had learned the great secret of life. They had found a joy, uh, Cyprian says, a thousand times better than any of the sinful pleasures of this life. In a bad and a sad world, there was a company of joyful, happy people. Uh, they were an island of happiness, if you will, in a sea of gloom and despair. They were an oasis in the midst of despair. And that's what God wants us to be in our world today and in our lives. God wants us to exude and express joy in our lives in a bad, sad world that we live in. 
What we're talking about here is not blind optimism or just some kind of a hollow happiness, but a real deep lasting joy of heart. The best definition I've read of joy is the joy of biblical joy. It's an inner gladness of heart, not dependent on outward circumstances. It comes from knowing the the presence and the perspective of God. It's an inner gladness of heart, not dependent on outward circumstances. It comes from knowing the presence and the perspective of God in our lives. It's It's a happy heart. Let's face it, this world isn't a very happy place a lot of the time. Even believers often struggle today with joy. I mean, there's a lot to get us down out there. There's a kind of a daily Niagara of bad news. And life can suck the, or life can suck the joy right out of us. And of course, one of the things that can sap our joy is worry. If you just look down a couple verses in Philippians, he says, don't be anxious for anything or be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Worry and anxiety is a joy stealer. You'll never meet a worried, anxious, joyful person. And yet all the anxiety and the worries in this life can come and just drain the joy right out of us. There's no better place in all the Bible to learn how to have a happy new year than Paul's letter to the Philippians. Because Philippians, as most of you know, is the epistle of joy. Uh, The word joy or rejoice or rejoicing, those words are found 16 times in this brief book. And you have to remember, Paul didn't write this epistle from uh, the four seasons in Hawaii. I mean, he wrote this under house arrest in Rome, chained uh, to a guard 24-7. And yet Paul, in the midst of that, was filled with joy, and he wants the Philippians and wants us to share in his joy as well. Now, the context here of Philippians 4, I don't want to develop this at length, but in verse 1, At the end of the verse, he says, So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Or you could translate this, This is how you stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And the rest of this section, verses 2 through 9, tell us how we stand firm in the Lord, how we can be spiritually stable people and have spiritual strength. And one of the keys to that in verse 4 is to rejoice in the Lord. So joy gives us strength and stability. Uh, Proverbs 15, 13 says, A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. Uh, Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And I love Nehemiah 8, 10, The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah says. So joy strengthens and it stabilizes our hearts. So that's the context here of this passage. But what I want to do this morning is just give... Three simple truths about joy here from verse 4 that I pray will help all of us and set the course for this year for us to have a happy new year. And these three points you can see in your outline are the command, the connection, and the constancy. The command here is very simple in verse 4. It's the word rejoice. This word here is a command. It's a, in the Greek, it's an imperative so this isn't just good advice. You know, this isn't something that's optional or just kind of a recommendation or Paul's just kind of giving a suggestion here. It's a command. Now, if it's a command, there's an interesting corollary to that is if you and I are commanded to be joyful, then if we're not joyful, what does that mean that is? It's a sin, right? I mean, think about that for a moment. It's a sin for a believer to not be joyful because this is a command from God. And he doubles down here at the end of the verse and says, again, I will say rejoice. So there's an emphasis here and a priority on this. 
Now, you're, you might be wondering this morning, how can joy be commanded? How can you command somebody to have joy? Because we often think of joy as something that just kind of bubbles up in us, and it's kind of something you either have or you don't. Or it's kind of a personality trait. You know, some people are just kind of happy and joyful, and other people are just kind of sad and, and uh, uh, you know, struggling all the time. But joy here is a command that we're to obey. It's a choice we make. It's a condition that we're to cultivate in our hearts and our lives. You can will yourself to rejoice. Back uh, some years ago in, in the, um, the uh, articles that are put out by, table, by uh, Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul's ministry called Table Talk, a man named John Sartell wrote this. He said, we not, must not miss the radical nature of this command. Command? Yes, this is a decreed joy ordered by God. The word is in the imperative. It carries the weight of a commandment. He commands us to joy in the hard places where joy could not possibly be expected. This means that we must sometimes exercise our wills in expressing this joy. So joy is a decision and a choice and an act of the will that you and I make. Now, let me make one statement about this that's important is ultimately joy in your life and my life as a believer is produced in and through us by the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. If you read in Galatians 5.16, it tells us to walk in the Spirit, to walk by means of the Spirit, walk depending on the Holy Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then it goes on to give the fruit of the Spirit that will be produced in our lives. And after love, what's the second fruit of the Spirit? Joy. So joy is produced in us whenever we yield our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting how God commands it, but only God can produce it. So it's produced in us as we yield our lives to the Spirit. And as we'll see here in a few moments, as we live in connection with Jesus Christ. But Psalm 6410 says, The righteous man will rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Psalm 97.12 says, Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise His holy name. Notice it's commanded there. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a resolve that we make in our lives and our minds. Psalm 118 verse 4, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So this is an attitude. It's a heart orientation in our lives. To rejoice is a choice. Uh, Karl Barth, the great theologian, I wouldn't agree with a lot of the things Karl Barth wrote and said, but there's one great statement he did make. He says, joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless. I love that. It's a defiant nevertheless. In the face of difficult, daunting circumstances in life, joy is a defiant nevertheless. Look, in the face of cancer, which I know some people in our church are struggling with right now, a wayward child, a lost finances, loss of security. Joy is a defiant nevertheless. It's a choice that we make in life every day. A lot of you know uh, the story of George Mueller of Bristol. I'm a great man of faith. I lived back in the 1800s. Uh, During his life, he took care of 10,000 orphans. Um, established 117 schools all over England that provided a Christian education to 120,000 children. 
He received no government support, didn't receive any support from any group or denomination. He was a man who lived by faith. And you can imagine the crushing burdens every day of taking care, you know, the clothing needs, the food needs, the, uh, the health needs of, of thousands and thousands of children every day. Now, what was the secret of George Mueller's life? This is what he says in his own words. According to my judgment, now listen to this, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above everything else, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God Himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last 35 years, and the secret of all true effectual service is joy in the Lord. That's an amazing statement. The most important thing, the number one priority, he says the secret of all true effective service for God is joy in Jesus Christ. So daily joy in God was George Mueller's number one priority in life, to get himself happy in the Lord. And you and I wake up in the morning. And a lot of times we wake up with burdens and maybe we haven't slept well that night because of them. We have a to-do list, and there are demands, and there are deadlines, and there are pressures upon us. Or some who are older may wake up in the morning experiencing boredom and loneliness in life. The greatest thing you can do every day for yourself and those around you, no matter what you face, is to start the day by getting your soul happy in the Lord, by spending time in God's Word and in prayer and getting happy. That's what Mueller did. He would go out then to face the challenges and the demands of the day, happy in the Lord. So it's a command, joy is. It's a choice. We have to make the choice to rejoice in our lives. Now, the second thing about joy here is the connection. We find that in those next words, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Our joy is tethered and tied to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Often we can't rejoice in our circumstances. Um, Problems and people can plague us in life. We can't always rejoice in the state of this world around us, maybe not even always in the status of our homes. Our joy cannot ultimately be in our health or our money, our balance sheets, our possessions, not even ultimately in our family or future plans or our children or even our grandchildren. Because those things will change and they will fluctuate. If our joy is tied to those things, it's never going to be complete and never going to be continual. It's never going to be constant. But we can always rejoice in the Lord. That's the connection here of our joy. And remember what George Mueller said every day, get yourself happy in the Lord. Get yourself happy in the Lord. Because Jesus Christ is the the, the sphere and the source of our joy. He's the center and he's the circumference of life. That's why a couple chapters earlier, Paul says in this very book, for to me to live is Christ. In other words, this is a gospel joy and it's a happiness ultimately found in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look here in chapter 4 of Philippians in verse 1, notice near the end of the verse, he says, stand firm in the Lord, in the Lord. 
Verse 2, he says, I urge you, Odian Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. Then down in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Down in verse 7, he says, your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So four times in these verses, he's saying that our life is lived in the sphere and in the environment of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in the Lord that you and I find joy and happiness. Robert J. Morgan's one of my favorite authors. I read a book by him not long ago, and he in the book, talked about rejoicing in the Lord. And he talked about why we can do that. And I love what he says. He says, that means we rejoice in his presence, for in his presence is fullness of joy. We rejoice in his precepts and promises, for there's a God-given promise in the Bible to counteract every anxious thought or stressful spot in life. We can rejoice in his providence, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love him. We can rejoice in his pardon, For with his forgiveness comes restoration of his joy. We can rejoice in his paths and purposes for us. We can rejoice in his provision, for God will supply all our needs. We can rejoice in his protection. He will never leave us or forsake us. We can rejoice in his paradise, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he says this, In any and every situation, even when we can find few other reasons for happiness, we can rejoice in our Lord and his attributes, in His infinite fellowship and grace. What he's saying here is joy is the byproduct of a rich relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the byproduct of abiding in Him. Uh, Turn back to to John 15 for just a moment in your Bible, to John chapter 15. This is uh, the famous statement of Jesus. This is the last of the seven I am statements. Uh, Jay and I are going to begin a series Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, a seven-week series on these I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. This is the last one where Jesus says, I am the vine. But notice in uh, chapter 15 of John's gospel in verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Now that word abide there in the Greek means to remain in. It's kind of like if you look up these lights up here, they're, they're abiding in those sockets. They're remaining in there. They're connected there. And so he's saying like a, a branch with a vine is connected and, and, and hooked in there. You abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then drop down to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. Now, the things he's been speaking to them are about them abiding in him, like a a branch connected to a vine. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be made full. So what he's saying here is, as we abide in Jesus Christ every day, that is, we we live our life in intimate fellowship and connection with him. As we abide in him, his joy becomes our joy. In other words, there's no other way to be joyful than to remain connected intimately with Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man of sorrows, the Bible tells us, but he was also a man of profound joy. And if we abide in him, the Bible says his life and his joy flows into us like sap flows into a branch and permeates our life. 
So joy then is not something that we, we try to gin up or we try to produce, but when we remain connected to Him, He says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be made full. George Duncan was a well-known Scottish pastor of a generation ago. And he tells a story about a woman who had a delightful vacation in Devon, England. And around noon, she was sitting in the window of this uh, B&B where she was staying. And suddenly the, the air was filled with this and permeated with this sweet fragrance. And it was so noticeable and striking, she wondered where in the world it could be coming from. It just kept getting stronger and stronger. And she looked out the window and all she saw was just ordinary people walking up and down the street for their lunch break. Yet this pleasing fragrance just filled the air. So she was so curious about it, she went down and walked out into the street and the fragrance grew stronger. So she asked the, the hostess there at the B&B where she was staying, where does this fragrance come from? And the hostess of the house said this, don't you know these people all work in the local perfume factory? They live in the fragrance all morning, and when they come out at lunchtime, they bring the fragrance with them. So the perfume, of course, permeates their skin and their clothing, and the scent goes with them uh, wherever they would go. It'd be nice to have somebody like that to come home every day, right, to fill the house with this beautiful smell. But they abide in that factory. They absorb the fragrance. They take it with them wherever they go in life. And you get the point of this. If we abide in Christ, we carry the fragrance of his joy with us uh, wherever we go. And so abiding in Christ is the key to rejoicing. It's in the Lord that we rejoice. So make a commitment this year to spend time alone every day with Jesus Christ in his word and in prayer. And if you will do that, the Bible tells us here, that you can have a happy new year. You'll rejoice in the Lord. Now, the final thing about joy here is the constancy of it. Notice he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, to me, this is the kicker. Because uh, it's not too difficult for me to rejoice sometimes. And I hope it's not too difficult for me to rejoice most of the time. But notice here it says, rejoice all the time. Always be rejoicing. Joy is to be the pattern or the habit of life for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, this is not denying that life is difficult and hard. We all know that. Life will bring tears. Life will bring troubles. Uh, gray skies come uh, to all of us. But the Bible tells us that in the midst of that, even in the midst of struggle, that you and I are called upon to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, it's a real paradox. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what does Paul say about himself? This is an incredible statement. He says, always sorrowful, yet rejoicing. How in the world can that be that you're always sorrowful? I mean, Paul had all kinds of burdens and troubles in his life. I mean, go back and read in 2 Corinthians 11 about what all Paul endured. Paul said, I'm always sorrowful yet I'm rejoicing. And it's interesting, you, you, you talk to people sometimes in the deep sorrow of life, and yet as a believer, they'll tell you, you know what, down underneath though, there's this joy I just can't explain. It's a great paradox that this world doesn't understand. Go back to chapter one of Philippians. You remember Paul is in, under house arrest, and there's people out there that are doing all kinds of things to get at Paul and to make his life miserable. 
What does Paul say in Philippians 1.18? What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul is saying here, whatever we face, we have the choice. The option to rejoice is always there. I mean, it's not easy, but it is possible. As we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit and as we abide uh, in Jesus Christ. I know I told this story not long ago, but I, I like this. It's a powerful one about uh, Jonathan Edwards. Some of you will remember this. Back on June 22nd, 1750, Jonathan Edwards was very unceremoniously dismissed as the pastor of the church he'd been at for 24 years in Northampton, Massachusetts. Most people say today that Jonathan Edwards was the greatest pastor theologian ever produced uh, here in America. But he was dismissed by an overwhelming vote of the church. And he'd endured years of theological wrangling in this church, bitter opposition, rancorous slander, a malicious gossip against him. And people would have expected him to kind of wallow in self-pity and, and kind of lash out to his enemies in anger. But not Jonathan Edwards. In fact, one observer described his reaction in these memorable words. It says that Jonathan Edwards received the shock of being fired unshaken. I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance for the whole week after. But he appeared like a man of God whose happiness was out of the reach of his enemies. Jonathan Edwards had what we might call an untouchable joy, a joy that couldn't be disturbed even by the most difficult circumstances of his life. And that's what you and I want to be. We want to be like men and women of God whose happiness is out of the reach of the circumstances of our lives. You know, sometimes it's not the big things that jolt our joy so much in life. It, it's often easy to become negative and complaining about the minor irritations and inconveniences of life. One of the things in my life that is one of the most humbling things that happens to me very, very often is how little it takes to disrupt my joy. I mean, the slightest inconveniences and irritations can steal and rob joy from my life. And when that happens in my life, that is a very humbling thing. Because I think about all that I have and all that I have in Jesus Christ, all the blessings of life that I have and how the simplest little things can come along and disrupt the joy in my life. It, it doesn't take very much to make us sour if we're really honest about it. I read a book a few years ago by Chuck Swindoll. It's a preaching book. Um, it's called Saying It Well. And in the book, he tells a story that he heard from someone else and that he relates about a women's event years ago in Sacramento, California. It was a women of faith group that met there. And one of the speakers was Johnny Erickson. Johnny Erickson taught him. Many of you know who she is. She was, uh, became a, a quadriplegic in a diving accident when she was 16 years of age. And Swindoll tells the story like this. That a woman told him this. She says, we're in Sacramento at a women of faith conference. We were in the Arco Arena back in 1999. Our ticket agent had inadvertently oversold the arena by 1,500 seats. As a result, we had to reseat 3,000 women to make room for double the number of chairs on the main floor. We did that in 24 hours by changing out the seats for smaller plastic ones and by reconfiguring the floor seats as they do sort of at a boxing match right up at the platform. Many of them literally had to lean their heads straight back to see the speakers. 
We phoned everyone ahead of time to alert them. Imagine 3,000 phone calls. And then we took the time to reticket and reseat the women on Friday night. In the opening, we apologized profusely, but it wasn't long into the program before folks began to register their complaints. They just didn't like their seats. Again, it doesn't take much to steal our joy, does it? But they said here, since Johnny uh, Erickson Tata was to be the first speaker, we asked her if she would mind issuing another apology for the inconvenience that had taken place. And here's what Johnny Erickson said, though, when she got up and began her talk. She said, we wheeled Johnny up on the platform. Her opening words were these. I understand some of you here are not sitting in the chairs you expected to be sitting in tonight. Well, neither am I. And I've been in mine for more than 30 years. And then she said softly, I have at least a thousand friends who'd give anything to be sitting in the chair you're in, if only for a night. And then the lady that headed the conference said, nobody complained after that. <laughs> Pretty much silenced it, right? Look, there's a lot of small things in life, just daily irritations and inconveniences that can come in and just take the joy right out of our lives so quickly. But if we abide in Jesus Christ, if we walk in the Spirit, the Bible tells us we can enjoy a supernatural joy. We can rejoice in the Lord and we can rejoice in the Lord always. You know, the greatest reason that you and I have to rejoice is stated in the verse right above the one we focused on here this morning. What does verse 4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. What is the word of the words right above that? In the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. The greatest reason that you and I have to rejoice is that heaven is our possession if we know Jesus Christ. It's the greatest reason we have to rejoice. And whatever, whatever happens in our lives, come what may, our names are written in heaven. And in that, we should find ample reason to rejoice. Remember back in Luke 10, Jesus sent out the 70 to go out and he gave them great power. They, they healed the sick and they raised the dead and the demons were subject to them. They cast out demons and they came back and they were thrilled at this power they had. And they said, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. What did Jesus say? Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. The greatest joy in all of life, even when we're experiencing the greatest success in life like the apostles were, Jesus said, look, that's not your ultimate joy. Rejoice in this. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So I'd ask you this morning as we begin the new year, is your name written there? Is your name in the book of life? You say, well, I don't really know. How do I get it there? Well, look back at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 across the page. This is the testimony of the Apostle Paul, and I pray it's ours as well. He says, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I love verse 9. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul said, there came a time in my life when I gave up on myself. In fact, I, I saw all my righteousness actually as loss. 
And I embraced and I trusted in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, God gave me his righteousness so I can now stand before him perfected. My name's written in heaven because of him. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, that's what you need to do. I mean, it says it here twice in this verse. It's the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The only way that you and I as sinners can ever have right standing before a holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him, God credits to our account in heaven the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now look, if there's nothing else in life to rejoice about, that's something to shout about, isn't it? I have the very righteousness of Jesus Christ given to me as a gift by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's a fitting segue now here this morning as we prepare our hearts to go and to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray together and then we'll, we'll take the supper. If there is anyone here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus or believed in him, what a way to begin 2019. Give up on yourself today. Give up on your righteousness. Give up on your efforts to please God and flee to Jesus Christ. And take him to be your savior and believe in him. When you do that, God will credit to you the very righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, Father, we look to you for 2019. I pray for myself and all of us here that we will be hungry, happy believers. That we'll have an untouchable joy in the Lord, a joy that's a, a sweet fragrance to those around us. We pray, Father, that like Cyprian of old, that we can find a joy a thousand times better than the pleasures of this sinful world. Father, minister to us now and strengthen us as we remember our Lord at his table. We ask these things in his precious name.